This is Ian Hartley. I'm Warren Kay. And I am Sasha Steenbergen. Welcome to the Rediscovering God podcast. We invite you to join us as we endeavor to see him more clearly, love him more dearly, and follow him more nearly. Welcome on this journey to rediscover the God that Jesus knew. And today we continue in our signs in the book of John. We're looking at sign number four, the feeding of the great crowd. Uh, we've looked at Jesus healing, sorry, Jesus providing wine at a wedding, and then healing a nobleman's son, and then most recently, Jesus healing an invalid man an invalid, uh, by the Pool of Bethesda. So now we move to number four, and that is in John chapter six. So just uh, also another reminder that John chooses these seven signs uh, because they uh, best portray the divinity of Jesus. Mm. And that's the point he's making. Mm -hmm. um, there are many miracles, but he chooses these seven and labels them as signs because they're pointing you in the direction of the divinity of Jesus. Because the purpose of his whole book is so that we could believe that Jesus was divine. Yeah. So we're on 6 verse 1. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias. Okay, so Jesus quite possibly did so to get away from the confrontation with the religious leaders uh, who were hounding him over his Sabbath healings. So the far shore, because Jesus wanted to get away, uh, as I've just pointed out, but he'd also just heard about John the Baptist's death. You know, he, he wanted to grieve for his relative mm -hmm. who had opened the way for him. Uh, and, you know, calling Galilee, the, the lake, the sea, uh, the Sea of Tiberias, um, means that uh, Rome had even possessed the water <laughs> of the lake. Mm -hmm. uh, Tiberias was one of the seas. Mm. So he's trying to get away from the crowds. Uh, verse 2. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. So instead of privacy, he's got a great crowd. You know, many miracles are not recorded that Jesus did. Uh, even the host of miracles that we have in the four Gospels are not exhaustive. And we know that from, and I'd like to read this in John 20 verse 30. And John 21, verse 25. By the way, there are two endings to the book of John. John chapter 20 is an ending, and then you get another ending in John 21. So let's read John 20, verse 30. The disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. Thank you. And 21, verse 25. Jesus also did many other things, 
If they were all written down, I suppose the whole world could not contain the books that would be written. Wow. <laughs> it's a bit of an exaggeration. Yeah. But I love it. It speaks to the storyteller in him. Yes. Well, I remind you, I've told you a thousand times, John doesn't exaggerate. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so, there are two common miracles to all four Gospels. One is the resurrection of Jesus, and the other one is the feeding of this great crowd. Interesting. So those two appear in all four Gospels. Yeah. I wonder what's so significant about, I mean, I could see the resurrection, but what's what was the significance about the feeding of the 5,000 that was um, so important that they would all include them? I know. Uh, Warren, if you were there and watched uh, Jesus pull out uh, food for 5,000 men, uh, it would be pretty impressive. That's true. That's true. <laughs> and you know, our, our Jewish friends, the uppermost thought in their minds is the Messiah is going to come and he's going to drive out the Romans. So that, that's the, the context of all their thinking. Mm -hmm. And this is possibly the Messiah. And if he can do this, he can feed the army. Mm -hmm. And there's no need for logistics to provide food for the army that's going to chase the Romans out. Plus, he can heal the sick. Plus, he can raise the dead soldiers. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. And I think there's also the um, the link to Moses. Yes. That, that, you know, he's the new Moses. He can provide food like Moses provided manna in the wilderness. And, yes. and, and so that would give it a... A credibility that would be yeah. very, very convincing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke uh, all state uh, that there were 5,000 men. Uh, John just says a great crowd. But if there were 5,000 men, um, there would have been women and children. So we're not talking about just 5,000. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Easily double or more. Mm -hmm. So we're on verse 3. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. So what strikes you about that statement? Well, the significance that, that he sat down uh, with the disciples, I think uh, there's a, a lot packed into that. There is. Um, you see, if if uh, one of us was there trying to address 5,000 men, we'd stand up. Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> okay. we, we wouldn't sit down. And uh, uh, this has a whole history, as you say. In the court of Pilate, the accused Jesus stood while the judge Pilate sat. Mm -hmm. mm. We have chairs at universities. Because when universities started, only the teacher had a chair. The mm. students all sat on the floor. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. And we have a chairperson uh, who organizes a group of people because only that person had a chair. The rest sat on the floor, stood around. And we have standing committees because of the lack of chairs long ago. <laughs> 
So mm. you see, you guys belong to a chair society. Yeah. You very seldom sit on the floor. Mm -hmm. But if you go to a country like India, mm -hmm. it's a floor society. Yeah. yeah. Everybody sits on the floor. Mm -hmm. That's right. And uh, so um, Jesus sits down because he's going to teach. And this is an indication. Mm -hmm. Mm. Are you glad for chairs? I am glad for chairs. The older I get, the more grateful I am for chairs. <laughs> it's true. I do it's like hard a to good get up off the floor. <laughs> We're on six verse four. The Jewish Passover feast was near. Yeah, so this was one of the feasts that every Jewish man had to attend. Mm -hmm. um, Passover, now you have to keep your wits about you on this. Passover is the first full moon in the spring lunar month. Easter, at least in the West, Easter is the first Sunday after the full moon, after the spring equinox. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. It sounds very complicated, but it isn't really. Spring mm. equinox is when? March 21. Oh, okay. Like, are you tracking with me? Mm -hmm. Well, we are trying. We... <laughs> well, you, you, in, the, in the Northern Hemisphere, Israel is in the Northern Hemisphere, mm -hmm. you have your uh, shortest day on December 21. Mm-hmm. And you have your longest day in uh, June 21. Mm -hmm. okay. Mm -hmm. okay, so equinox means the day and the night are equal. So it's halfway between. So oh, it'll be the 21st of March. That's the first time I've ever heard that explained before. Okay. Uh, excuse me, didn't you guys go to school? I mean... This is just expanding my mind, Craig. <laughs> so it's uh, it's the first Sunday after the full moon after March twenty one. Okay, I am tracking with you. Okay. Um. So Passover was near meant it was necessary to go to Jerusalem. It also meant there would be crowds of pilgrims on their way to Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. And these crowds would have picked up on the excitement of Jesus and his miracles. This would explain the great number of people who suddenly appeared on the scene uh, mm -hmm. while Jesus was hoping to spend a quiet time with his disciples. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, and and to, to realize that... Um, people would have heard about the miracles that Jesus was performing already. I mean, because yeah. the, 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 even though it was all by word of mouth, it would have spread like wildfire through communities yeah. and to the next community and to the next community. And so mm -hmm. they would want to, to meet him. And so, yeah, to come across him on their journey to Jerusalem would have been a highlight. Mm -hmm. So the conflict in Judea, would continue. You know, the, uh, the scribes and the Pharisees uh, were located in Jerusalem around the temple. And so in Galilee, it was relatively peaceful for Jesus. 
Mm -hmm. um, but uh, he's now going down to the Passover, and this means there's going to be conflict. And people are hoping that Jesus would reveal himself as king at Passover. Mm -hmm. Right. But remember, yeah. Passover celebrated the Exodus. And they wanted to celebrate their exodus from Roman rule. Yeah. Right. We're on mm. verse 5. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Why well, ask Philip? Because Philip was from Bethsaida. Uh, and they were near Bethsaida. And he would have known where the nearest bakery was. I just find this interesting, though. Like, <clears throat> were they... When Jesus asks that, like, was there even uh, acknowledgement from the disciples? Like, oh, yeah, we're carrying around that kind of cash in our pockets that we can go and buy bread for, you know, a multitude of people. And also, what bakery has like 5,000 loaves on the shelves? Like I was at the Salt Spring Bakery last uh, yesterday morning at 9 a.m. when they opened and it was like a line out out the door and that place sells out fast. And so people know they have to line up at that time. Mm. But I'm just picturing that, you know, just even from the, the point of Philip looking at Jesus and being like, are, you know, are, are we supplied for that kind of business here? You know, sometimes you ask a question and the question uh, discombobulates your mind. <laughs> It, uh, it sort of focuses your attention on one particular aspect and you don't right. think about the others, you know. <laughs> and so I think this was a discombobulating question for Philip. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's this, uh, this Philip who will later ask Jesus, like Jesus asks him questions, so he feels the freedom to ask Jesus questions. <laughs> and uh, he says to him, show us the Father. Mm -hmm. uh, and then uh, there's this dialogue where Jesus says, what? You've seen me. How can you say, show us the Father? I'm the exact representation of my dad. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. yeah. Anyway, yeah. this was a solitary place. There was no food. Jesus knew they were going to be here for some time as they had traveled far to get here. And before the people were concerned about food, Jesus was working to meet their need. I don't know if you get that. Before uh -huh. the people were hungry, uh -huh. Jesus was working to supply their need. Uh -huh. Amen. Amen. This is where praying becomes relevant. Mm. You know, often our prayers assume that God is quite ignorant. Yeah. Um, <laughs> He doesn't know about our situation, so we have to tell him. Mm -hmm. Not only do we have to tell him that Uncle Joe is ill, we have to tell him which hospital is in. Yep. Uh, so God can <laughs> get with it and bless him. <laughs> I know. I had this thought when I was driving the other day um, because somebody got hit, uh, um, a cyclist got hit. And here on Salt Spring, everybody just rallies around right away. And everybody came and they said, okay, everybody, we need to turn around. We need to give space here. And so everyone talks to each other. And as I was driving away, I, I heard the ambulance coming and, you know, people were already putting cones out from their cars. I don't know where they got those from. And 
all of a sudden I, I thought, okay, well, we need to pray. So I started praying the typical prayer that I normally pray. Dear Jesus, please uh, be with this man who got hit. And then I just stopped for a second and I just started to cry. It hit me how unbelievably uh, out of touch I am with the concept of what God the Father is doing with his babies. He was already there on the ground with that man holding him and probably whispering into his ear, I've got you, I'm right here with you. And just the thought that I am actually asking, can you please turn and give some concern here is ludicrous to what Jesus was already doing with him. And I just cried and the girls were like, what's that? What's wrong with me? I said, God is actually so there right now. And we are last to the game. You know, he's got this guy. And it just really touched my, my, my deep core self to realize how much of sincere realization it was that he's got him long before I even deigned to think about this man and, and bring him to the Lord. Mm, beautiful. You make yeah. music for me when you talk yeah. like that. Oh, that's good. You know, and, and then we also treat God as if he's got a very poor memory. And right. You keep telling him the same old stuff, you know. Yeah. Um, it's, we're really very insulting to God. Yeah. yeah. I'm glad he's very patient with us. <laughs> So there'll be no spiritual learning if the people are physically hungry. Right. Yeah. And the Exodus was about manna from the sky and water from the rock. Mm. And the Messiah is the rock. Mm -hmm. You know, we sing rock of ages. We get that from 1 Corinthians 10. It says that he was the rock who followed. He is the second Moses. And he's going to repeat uh, this tangible love and care that the mm. Israelites experienced in the wilderness right mm. here on the shores of Lake Galilee. Mm -hmm. it, you know, I, you mentioned it, but I just want to remind ourselves that Jesus went to this place to be alone. Mm -hmm. And so this is a major interruption into his plan for the day. Uh, he's grieving the death of his cousin and wants to spend some time with the disciples. And then five to 20,000 people show up. <laughs> yeah. Hello. Like, hello. You know, it, it's not, I, if that was to happen to me, I think I'd be a little bit uh, out of sorts. Yes. I'm not that eager to provide for all these people, but Jesus takes it in stride and realizes their need and, and wants to provide plan for them mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah i like that that's good so we're down verse six he asked this only to test him for he already had in mind what he was going to do so um test him test him uh, what's the difference between testing and tempting so yeah i'm going to give you a suggestion uh it's quite legitimate to test uh, for uh, physical skills, mental skills. It is immoral to test a person's moral skill. If I suspect dear Irma is stealing money, 
it's immoral of me to leave a $100 note lying around. Perfectly acceptable to test someone uh, to see if they can still drive. Um, the thought that came up for me was um, that I think the word test is maybe even not quite adequate for how I'm understanding Jesus now. And that I would I would put the word in connect with the inner um, thought life. Um, because if he knows his disciples, he knows all the needs and he knows all the people he knows the inner workings of this of his mind and and questions and maybe doubts and and thoughts that he has and realizing that there might need a connection point to bring some more clarity and i love the idea when you said that the question was discombobulating <laughs> because that resonated for me because it 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 sort of like made things bubble up and 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 more possibilities arise and that point of connection means that he's not, it's not a pass or fail. It's, it's an expanding, it's an opportunity for more um, sinking in of the understanding of who God is. And so I'm going to reframe that, that word test for myself, even uh, as connection point for understanding the inner thought world. That helps me. Okay, good. I remind you that the uh, traditional uh, reading of the Lord's Prayer is lead us not into temptation, mm -hmm. which which implies that God does sometimes lead you into temptation. And many people believe this, mm -hmm. that God tests you by tempting you. So um, you'll find that the uh, newer translations... Um, don't go that route. And interestingly enough, Pope Francis uh, suggested a change to the Lord's Prayer in this respect, because he said it's disrespectful to suggest that God leads us into temptation. Mm -hmm. So we got this from the Latin translation of the Bible. Uh, Jerome, who lived around 300 A.D., went and lived in a cave near Bethlehem, and he translated the Bible into Latin. And it's called the Vulgate version, Vulgate translation, and it's been used by the church up to 1000 AD, and then the church separated into the Eastern Church and the Western Church, and the Western Church became the Roman Catholic Church. And the Roman Catholic Church continued to use the Vulgate, um, in their mass. Mm -hmm. Now, the King James Version followed the Vulgate mm. and had this um, lead us not into temptation as part of the Lord's Prayer. So that's been very influential. Okay. And subconsciously, this tells you that God does lead you into temptation. Mm -hmm. Right. And yeah. reminds me also that the scriptures were written by people with certain understandings. And that it doesn't necessarily, <laughs> that that's still open to further understanding. Yes. And that, that's helpful. Mm -hmm. so, uh, I want us to read James chapter 1, verse 13 and 14, uh, because this is, addresses the issue of temptation. Mm -hmm. Right on. James 1, 13. And remember when you are being tempted... 
do not say God is tempting me. God is never God is never tempted to do wrong and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires which entice us and drag us away. So that's pretty categorical. Mm -hmm. So uh, we're on uh, John 6 verse 7. Philip answered him, Eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. <laughs> I love it. This guy, he is in the state of discombobulation. <laughs> you really like that word, don't you? <laughs> I absolutely love that word. <laughs> My email address used to be congob, so I'm 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 all in. <laughs> <laughs> I fear that your children are going to be discombobulated. <laughs> oh boy! So, what what is eight months of wages worth today? Thirty, forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars. <laughs> yeah. yeah, big range, eh? Yeah. So, um, Philip is being very practical here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He he's still thinking, yeah. On his normal, yeah, logistics way of yeah. thinking. He, he, he's seen all these miracles that Jesus has done, but it hasn't got through to him yet. Yeah, yeah. This is actually God Himself who is there. Yeah. Well, and it and it just gives a bit of an idea of how huge this crowd was. Because $30,000 would buy a lot of bread um, if you could get that kind of supply. If and you could get saying, that kind of supply. <laughs> and he's saying that that wouldn't even feed everybody that's here. There's a huge. Exactly. Huge, Just even a bite. So I often do this, you know. I forget that God uh, is divine. And I think that he has to work the way I work. And since it's impossible for me, it must be impossible for God. I'm happy neither of you ever have that problem. Uh, <laughs> be patient with me. Hmm. <laughs> We're on 6, verse 8. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will that go among so many? So this is a good example of brainstorming. Mm -hmm. I know. Yeah. And I love Andrew, like the thought, like, look, here's this kid. He doesn't discount this kid. He doesn't discount these five loaves and fishes. Like this guy's like, you know what? Let's get something on the table here. <laughs> what can we do with this? We're on verse, uh, yeah. Um, um, there had been miracles of uh, feeding a lot of people before. Elijah fell fed 200 people during the famine with 20 loaves. And manna was a 40-year daily miracle mm -hmm. that happened as they were crossing. So, mm -hmm. like, they've got precedence for this, just like we've got precedence in the Bible, you know. And then when we get into the corner, <laughs> we, we just forget about all these precedents. Forget about it. No doubt. It's true. And especially the Jewish people, because they would have literally uh, had these stories being told orally among down the, through the generations. 
and they're going to Passover, and at Passover, yeah. they will remember. <laughs> yeah. mm -hmm. no, the Lord. They're on the road. Yeah. We're on verse 10. Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. You can tell something is about to happen. They're talking about food, and Jesus says, have them sit down. It's a comfortable place, <clears throat> and people can see better when they're sitting down, be clear where the food was coming from. So now we come to the logistics of feeding this crowd. They're 12 disciples. They're 5,000 men. Let's say they're 10,000 people altogether. And let's say they're 10 disciples, just to make it easy. So they're 10,000 people, 10 disciples. Each one has to supply 1,000 people with food. Oh, yeah, yeah. Talk to me about the logistics. Yeah, I am picturing, first of all, the committee that would need to happen about how are we going to fan out into this crowd <laughs> and are we going to, you know, decide on a method even how we're going to do this? Well, isn't it Matthew that says that they were seated in an orderly fashion in groups of 50 or 100 or something like that? So it was all organized. And and uh, so, yeah, they would have gone out. But I, I kind of think um, to save time, since miracles are just happening here, uh, I think it was more of than just the miracle of Jesus breaking the bread and and the fish and multiplying there. It seems to me these low these baskets would just last forever. They would just keep giving people food and giving people food, and and they weren't having to run back and forth to Jesus uh, every time the basket got empty. Okay, so you suggesting that the food was multiplying in the twelve baskets? I'm I'm thinking perhaps, yeah. Okay. It's the never, never. Uh, uh, what is it called at Olive Garden? The uh, never-ending never uh, bread basket, pastable, whatever. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it never gets empty. Oh boy, I this love is, that idea, though. This, this is the never-ending fish and chips. <laughs> I love it. Everyone was clearly uh, just, they were all, not, they were not vegetarians. They were all ready for whatever this food was. No one was gluten-free. Uh, it was just, uh, thank you, thank you, coming down the aisle. Right. You know, you two guys are trying to simplify something very complex. <laughs> You're doing your best to cope. Can you imagine being in that crowd? and watching everybody getting food and just shaking your head. Where is all this food coming from? Yeah, I yeah. feel like it may have started at a certain energy level because people didn't even know, obviously, what was started because I think it would take a little while for the buzz to start happening. But I can only imagine the uh, palpable energy as, you know, maybe 500 people have gotten fed and the sounds from them going, I can't believe this is so delicious. Best bread I've ever had in my life. What kind of fish is this? This is the best fish ever, you know, and then pretty soon the ripple and the sound and the buzz of all these happy people, you know, by the time you get to 10,000, the, the uh, energy of gratitude 
I'm just thinking of gin and and the frequency, the hertz of what that uh, energy would have been like must have been um, unreal. True. And, and, you know, artists try to depict this and they have this boy carrying fish that are two feet long in his <laughs> basket. Like, hello, right. like it was his no. lunch. He wasn't going to eat all that. <laughs> And by making the loaves really big and the fish big, isn't right. still going to be enough to feed 5,000 men. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, funny. I don't know. You know, you can go to Subway and get a foot long. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. yeah. No, this is unbelievable. I don't think anybody who went home uh, and told those who hadn't been there what had happened or it would have been believed. Yeah. I know, right? Like, oh, you're pulling my leg. <laughs> Imagine that kid getting home. I know. He has now more food than what his mother gave him. And she wants <laughs> to know, where did you get what did all you do? this? <laughs> and he's telling the story. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Exactly. Yeah, they would be just floating around telling these stories. Jesus is authenticating the prayer he gave his disciples, where mm -hmm. he says, you give us this day our daily bread. Mm -hmm. And the teaching that preceded this, where he says, your father knows exactly what you need before you ask him. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. So before this crowd was hungry, Jesus fed them. Hmm. Hmm. Well, and and before he'd even taught them, like he, yeah. he he asks this question as he sees the crowd coming. We're on verse eleven. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. Wow. Jesus is generous. Yeah. You could have as much as you wanted from his hand. You could fill your satchel too. Yeah. You could not use more than Jesus was giving. Yeah. I know some people who would have filled their satchel and borrowed somebody else's satchel too. <laughs> Take some home for later. Yeah. It reminds me of the abundance of wine that Jesus provided at the wedding right. feast. Mm -hmm. yeah. Way more than what they needed. Amen. Verse 12. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. Okay, now the um, people who are very careful with their money, uh, what do you call people like that? Well, there are different terms you can use. <laughs> <laughs> Some more polite than others. Yes. Yeah. They love this part of the story. Yeah, yeah. I was just going to say, my husband would like this part. Like, let's use all the things that we have before we get more food. <laughs> <laughs> Oops, I'm outing, Tate. So the disciples distributed the bread and fish. Uh, and notice that they're involved. The bread and fish doesn't swim out to the people. Mm -hmm. automatically yeah mm -hmm. uh, right. now they're also collecting the extra i wonder 
what happened to that extra? What did I do with it? Well, I have a feeling that that meeting that was going to happen after the the feeding was going to take some time. So I feel like, you know, I think they had supper planned as well there. Everyone had a little in their pocket, ready to eat. <laughs> so um, there would also have been people there who did not stuff their satchels because they would have thought somebody else needed this more than I needed. Mm -hmm. And maybe the disciples gave the extra to them. So I'm also thinking now about the bread of life word of God um, that you can share with people. Um, sometimes you have to pick up what's left over because no one was interested. <laughs> <laughs> and you and you treasure it in your heart yeah. for another time yeah. uh, when it will be needed. Yeah. yeah. We're on verse 13. <clears throat> so they gathered them and filled the 12 baskets with the pieces of five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. There's a difference, you know, between the manna and the uh, barley loaves and fish. The manna, you only got what you needed. Mm -hmm. Then it went rotten. Mm -hmm. But uh, so it's almost like Jesus is more generous than Moses. Mm. Mm. Yeah, because there was abundance in it. It lasted for them to take away. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, the broken bread, there's no mention of fish being left over. Maybe they ate all the fish. Yeah. It's like serving rice and ice cream. You'll have rice left over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, the fish would go bad. So really, you know, this is very smart <laughs> thinking. <laughs> very good. Very good. <laughs> um. um. So the the broken bread represents Jesus' body, which is not to be wasted. Mm -hmm. It's to be treasured. Mm -hmm. uh, do you know about the uh, the mass and what happens to the wafers that are not used? No. Okay, they placed in that special container and referred to as the host, and uh, it's never thrown away. So the next time Mass is offered, uh, the priest uses what's in there. Mm -hmm. And of course, uh, because of transubstantiation, they believe that's actually the body of Jesus now. Mm -hmm. But it's just interesting that these stories all tend to be used as proof uh, that uh, the communion bread should not be wasted in any way. And um, there's a lot of tradition about that that we're not going to talk about right now. Mm -hmm. um, verse 14. After the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Thank who you. Is to come into the world. Sorry, yeah. So we need to read that. It's Deuteronomy 18.15. Uh, this is a prophecy by Moses. Uh, and this is what they're referring to. Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Deuteronomy 18.15. Moses 
continued, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. Thank you. So Moses makes this prediction, and Jesus is like Moses. He teaches the people from the mountain. He gives them commandments. And he does all these mighty miracles like Moses did. And now he's just done the one which is most like Moses, uh, the manna and the water they had in the desert. Jesus feeds the people in this private place with uh, bread and fish. Yeah. So this is why this is such an amazing, impressive miracle to the people. Mm -hmm. We're on verse 15. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. So do you think this was a temptation for Jesus? Well, it certainly was. An, uh, yeah, I think it was uh, very similar to the temptation in the wilderness. It was an easy way to accomplish what he wanted to accomplish. He, they, they would have taken him in and made him their ruler, and he could have started his campaign to do what they wanted him to do. So Jesus had a clear understanding of what his work was and when his time was. Mm -hmm. He was not to be another king in the long line of human rulers who operated by force and deceit. Yeah. He was about other business, and this temptation must be resisted also by a firm grip on his father's purpose and his own purpose. You know, Jesus longed for somebody who would understand what he was about. Very few did. When the disciples encouraged Jesus to eat at Jacob's well, they're actually thinking of Jesus, not about themselves. Mm -hmm. The woman who anointed his feet and dried them with her hair yeah. is thinking about Jesus, yeah. not about herself. Yeah. And I find this so missing in the public prayers I hear. Mm -hmm. The prayers are all about us, 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 me, me, me. I don't know. Do you guys hear prayers about people's concern for God? No, yeah. Not not very often, no. But I think that's also indicative of where we are in our growth because I just think about like when I was a kid, I never thought about my parents and what they must be feeling or thinking or experiencing. And I just literally, you know, went about my way and thinking magically food always appeared, <laughs> you know, and just thinking about it's not until I got older that I started thinking about uh, what they must be thinking or feeling, experiencing life. Um, and so I think that, yeah, my my spiritual maturity is is still as a child growing. So what's really interesting is that the first half of the Lord's Prayer is all about God. Jesus' wish for God. Mm -hmm. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus told the people to go home, according to Matthew 14, 22. Uh, he had come to serve, not to be honored and fated as a king of Israel. Mm -hmm. I remind you of Matthew 20, verse 28, where Jesus says, The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. 
That was his ultimate service. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this was reflected in the way he, out of his own initiative, healed people who'd never asked or imagined that they could be healed. Mm-hmm. He forgave people's sins who weren't even sorry they'd sinned. Uh, and it's just this overflowing generosity from Jesus' heart towards us all the time. And yeah. then at the Last Supper, he just washes their feet. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because that's who Jesus is. Mm-hmm. Not mm-hmm. to set some great example or anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just that's the way Jesus is. Yeah. He's looking for ways to serve other people. Yeah. yeah. How beautiful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let's pray together. Dear God, um, in a sober moment like this, we think of how focused we are on ourselves and we're embarrassed. We thank you that you came and loved us and served us. It's a marvelous example, but it's beyond our ability. Thank you for being our savior, for doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves, changing our hearts to be like yours. Mm-hmm. Amen. 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 the recording of our podcast on our website uh, as well as the PDF document that we've been using so you can follow along or at least see all the passages and so that website is rediscoveringgod.ca and on there there is the um, the, the PDF document the uh, link for the podcast as well as our YouTube link. We are now on YouTube. So if you want to see us live, then you can go and watch it on YouTube. Wonderful, and we'd also love to invite you to our Monday evening Zoom discussion where Ian and Warren lead us out. And um, we are currently going through the podcast uh, where we get to have discussion and really dive in a little deeper and get our, um, our, our most pressing questions answered. Um, It's a really wonderful time of fellowship and connection with the group. Um, We share in community and resources as well. We'd really love to have you join us. We're going to be meeting um, at 6.30 Mountain Standard Time. Uh, You just add in the link 403-506-9201. We'd love to see you. And if you'd like to connect with us, you can reach us at rediscoveringgod2020 at gmail.com. Send us an email. We'd love to hear from you and know how this journey of rediscovering the God that Jesus knew is changing your life.